Shalom. Fact is, the world of Lubavitch is an incredible world and a world that spreads over all the seas, all the continents. And it's amazing sometimes to be able to sit back and look at the world of the Chabad and look at the Jewish world in general and see what is being done to reach out to Jews literally in every corner of the globe. We're going to meet somebody today that you won't believe it, but as a young rabbinical student never had in, in his wildest imagination the idea that he would end up in Bangkok, Thailand. So we're going to meet Rabbi Yosef Cantor, who is the chief rabbi of Bangkok, or really the whole country of Thailand, and find out what is a nice Jewish boy doing in a place like this. Rabbi Cantor, it's a pleasure to have you with us in Jewish Spotlight. Pleasure to be here. So maybe you can answer that question. What is a nice Jewish boy doing in Bangkok? Nice Jewish boy in Bangkok? I'll answer you the same way I answer the uh, passport officials when I come into, into New York. When I clear customs, they ask right. me, what are you doing in Bangkok? <laughs> I can imagine. You I get that question a lot. I tell them I'm a rabbi. They look at me, and I say, you ever heard of Chabad? I says, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> now they understand. Now they understand. Very good. Well, the fact is you went to Bangkok in which year? I went there in 1993. 1993. And I, you probably never imagined that you would get into a situation that would turn out to be one of the, I would say, one of the jewels in the crown of the Chabad houses around the world. Because when people think of a Chabad houses, they think of places that are doing incredible work. You're looked at as a hero. I mean, you're a person who's taken your family and your children and has gone off to, to a place that nobody would dream of living and bring up not only your own Jewish family, but also affect the lives of thousands upon thousands of other Jews. So we, uh, we give you a yashikorach. Well, thank you for the uh, inspiration and the encouraging words. We try just to uh, fulfill that which the Rebbe taught us, and that is to try and reach out to every Jew, no matter how far he may stray, no matter in one continent he may find himself, and no matter in what kind of uh, position in life he finds himself. And Bangkok is certainly, for many people, the one time that they really let loose, because Bangkok is a kind of, there's a saying in Thai, may pen lie, which means never mind, anything goes. And so it's a place where the barriers come down. It's a place where people come, are able to become more cohesive because of that. Right. People dress very casually. The weather is hot. And it's a place where we can really impact in a meaningful way, uh, to, especially to the young people. We can let Judaism enter their lives. Now, just in case any of our audience thinks that, well, this rabbi might be very effective with his 10 people that he's got a congregation there, can you give us an idea of how big a staff you have and of how many people you affect during the course of the year? Well, we deal with approximately, we have a traveling community of about 100 plus thousand. 100,000 people who come through Bangkok per year. Okay. Come through Thailand yearly. Yes. And uh, although there's only few hundred people that actually live there, reside there, but the people that pass through are there for a couple of weeks, and they are our traveling community. And, and these provide. are mostly Israelis? Many of them are young Israelis who have just finished their duty, their active duty in Sahal, in the Israeli Defense Forces. And they come, they say that in Israel, in the army, when you have two minutes spare, you go to sleep because everything's so regimented. And then once they come to Thailand, they put their watch in their suitcase. Right. They put their calendars away, and they, the only thing they know is that on a certain date, they have to get back on a plane. And the rest of that, they just... They're just relaxing know. after having been in the service. But I know that your Chabad house is a very strong drawing point. A lot of people come to Thailand now specifically because they want to see what Chabad is doing there. Your Passover Seder, can you tell us a little bit about that? Then I want to show a little bit of a part of the film that you brought, which gives a, an overview of some of the activities that you have there. But that has been a tremendous magnetic draw for many young Israelis also. Uh, Pesach has become a tradition <coughs> in itself. Uh, we have 
three locations where we have sedarim, where we have seders. We have approximately 800 at the central one in Bangkok. 800 at one seder? 800. Who cooks for that? Uh, we have a staff. We used to cook for it ourselves. We used to get the Israelis to roll up their sleeves and peel potatoes and uh, slice carrots. But now we have a staff because we have a full-time kosher restaurant, so we have a staff that cooks. Up north, we have about three, 400 attendees. And down south, in the island of Koh Samoy, we have between two or 300 people that attend. So how many full-time rabbis and their wives do you have? Hmm. We have five full-time rabbis, uh, four in Bangkok, one in Chiang Mai. Okay. Koh Samoy is only a seasonal chabaral, uh, so we use one of the Bangkok uh, rabbis flies down there. Right. And when we have a staff of about uh, 10 rabbinical vol- uh, students who volunteer, they're there for on a yearly basis. And then we have two or three girls that uh, teach at our fledgling Jewish school. So you have a Jewish school there as well? A small one, but a Jewish school. Okay, I'm ready to see the, uh, the film as soon as we can put that up. In the meantime, maybe we can give a voiceover. You just give us a little explanation of some of the other things that you're doing over there. And when, once the film comes on, we'll do a l- little bit of a tour, step by step, as we see the different points brought out in the, in the film. But the school is for 40 children, and these are... The children of the rabbis, or these are other people from the community? Well, we let in the children of the rabbis. They're allowed into the school. <laughs> okay. Some of them attend. Good. We have children, other children from the community. We have, uh, in our kindergarten program, we have children from the Israeli embassy. Right. Uh, now we see uh, a little bit of what it's like over in Thailand. This is, I guess, your wife taking a little bit of a tour, perhaps when you first arrived. She looks a little wonder-eyed. Well, of course, you see my wife uh, going shopping. That's something that... Uh, Women traditionally do wherever they are. There's plenty of shopping in Thailand, although right. it's a little different than New York. And you have a lot of interesting sights to see. Uh, that's a sefetor, welcoming a new sefetor to our community, dancing in the streets of Thailand. These and the rabbinical are, students walk around in the streets without any problem. There's no difficulty? No, no problem whatsoever. Actually, most of the, of the people think we're Afghani. Or, uh, Afghani? Yes, the, the, the Thais are not very uh, well-educated. Uh-huh. In the uh, in the ways of the, of the West, right. so anybody that doesn't look West uh, exactly American, they figure must be Middle Eastern, especially gotcha. with the beard. Uh huh. All right. And the synagogue you have also is quite an active synagogue for the local uh, populace. Well, we're lucky. We have one synagogue that services the entire community, so we all we all pray together. There's uh, the wonderful moments of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the high holidays, where right. you have the entire spectrum of Jews that are all praying together, celebrating together, and it's a wonderful feeling of unity. Yes, and you have a tremendous business community out there as well. There's uh, thousands of people that come there on a regular basis to do business, and uh, we have services that we offer them as well. Interesting. Now, the girls that you get, are we, we're showing now one of the meals. Every Friday night, how many students would you say you have at the Chabad house? I would say we have, uh, on average, 200 Sometimes gets up to 300 and sometimes up to 400. 200 400 people every Friday night. Yes, they come. Unbelievable. They come because they're looking to connect to their heritage. They come because it's already, the word is out. That's the place to be. On a Friday night, they, some come to the prayers, some come just to the meal, but they're all imbued with the Jewish spirit. Tremendous. Now tell me something. When... You meet a, a young student who comes, let's say, to your place, and they came from Israel. Let's say in Israel, they didn't have anything to do with, with Judaism at all. You know, we know that the Rebbe told us to reach out to every single Jew. And in Israel itself, very often, the Jewish people that are there have nothing to do with their background or their heritage. Isn't it a little bit paradoxical and strange that you have to go to Thailand before they start to be open 
to finding out more about the Judaism. Is that the, your experience? It, uh, it, 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 in the beginning, it was rather strange to me. Uh -huh. But as time has gone on, I've come to understand that the, uh, in Israel there are many different factors that come to play that uh, desensitize them or, or set up barriers for them to interact with other Jews. There's uh, the strong media influence, and there's this, the tenseness and, and the urgency of, of pressing matters at hand. Right. Once they come in a more relaxed setting, and once there's no uh, influences, uh, be it peer pressure or be it influences from the media, they're able, and they see that in Thailand there are monks walking around the streets. There's obviously some kind of religion going on. The main religion is Buddhism. I believe that at that moment they start to realize that they have an identity, a religious identity as well, uh, and they search, and some even very subconsciously, they look to reconnect, and look to connect with other Israelis, and they look to connect with Israelis, but more than just Israelis, they look to connect with their heritage, with their identity, and that's why they're very open to come, and our doors are open, our doors are welcoming, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Somebody asked us, how successful are we? So we say, and he meant to say, how many people come out of the Chabad house and go out uh, looking like rabbis? I said, we, we don't have anybody look, look, walking out like rabbis, except for the rabbis, but we claim we have 100% success rate. So he looks, what do you mean? Success in what? So we have 100% success rate in Horadat Sina, which means the eliminating hatred. But we are successful in eliminating, eliminating uh, division, divisiveness, eliminating uh, disunity. And what we're able to achieve, which is a wonderful thing, is that people walk into the Chabadas and they feel warm, they feel Jewish, they feel connected, they feel the brotherhood. And it doesn't matter what they look like, it doesn't matter how observant they are. And it, nothing matters. As long as they're Jewish and walking into our doors, they will be treated as equals. And that, uh, that news spreads. But for a person who, who comes from a background where they were almost anti-Orthodox, isn't it very difficult for them to come to terms with all of a sudden meeting Rabbi Cantor and feeling so close to him and feeling that, he, that you identify with him and he identifies with you? There must be somewhat of a, of a jump that a person has to take in order to be able to feel that camaraderie. Well, sometimes, sometimes there is a barrier. And sometimes in mysterious ways, uh, they find that they need help in that part of the world. Sometimes it's just because uh, the common thing is that on the long bus trips, somebody sprays gas in the air, unknown to the passengers, and while they fall asleep because of the gas, they will come and uh, rob them of their valuables, of their tickets, really? of their passports. That's a common practice there. It's quite common, and uh, very often these pe people, unfortunate people, know that when they call the embassy, the Israeli embassy will say, well, why don't you go to the Chabad house? The Chabad will help you to you know, go through the usual procedures. Really? Uh, when somebody hasn't called home for a couple of weeks, and the parents in Israel worry, they will call the embassy. The embassy will immediately call us to put up a notice on the bulletin board whether, you know, uh, to spread the word that Yaakov or Moshe or, or whatever it is is being looked so for by his parents. You're like a mini embassy yourself. Kind of. Uh, and it's, it's that kind of gisha, uh, uh, that kind of uh, approach right. that uh, they know they will receive a, a kind word, they know they will rec be received by my colleagues who show genuine concern and are indeed genuinely concerned for the well-being of, of all the people that come right. in. And the fact is, this is the, uh, the approach that the Rebbe taught all of us, and it's the same approach which is being done in Chabad houses all over the world. It's only that for many people, it's very difficult for them to understand that people can come with that type of, of attitude of total acceptance and total non-judgmental 
uh, ability of being able to look at a Jew and say, listen, you have a neshama, you have a Jewish soul just like I have a Jewish soul, and that's, that's all it takes. That's the, the main qualification, and that bonds us in a certain way that most people have a very difficult time understanding or getting used to. Tell me, your wife, how does she adjust to being there? How do the kids live there? I mean, it must be so foreign and so difficult having elephants running around in the street and uh, all types of other things happening that, that are just so totally foreign to our Western culture. How do they adjust? I think for the kids, a uh, much simpler procedure than for the parents. The kids grew up there. For them, it's home. When they come to America, it seems different to them. They're, they're very happy there. They're quite used to their lifestyle. Uh, for the parents, now that's a different story. My right. wife was quite difficult. Uh, sometimes it still is difficult. But she's uh, really proven to be a remarkable uh, leader in the community. Uh, she handles uh, many major functions very effectively. Uh, people look up to her for advice. Fantastic. Have you learned uh, Thailandese or whatever they speak there? Uh, the language is Thai, and Thai. we speak enough just to communicate with the, the taxi drivers that we take. Oh, uh, so you get by. Uh, the domestic help. Yeah, I couldn't give a speech in Thai. But then again, none of the Jews really speak it as first language. So right. it's either Hebrew, English, Yiddish, or... Now, what else is going on? We've had some other speakers from the Far East here in the program, but for those people who haven't seen it, what are some other centers that are Chabad is, is doing a lot of work for in the Far East? Well, I must say one of our, uh, one of the biggest seders in the world, probably the biggest seder in the world, takes place in the Himalayas, takes place in Nepal. Rabbi Lipschitz and his wife are there, and they had, I think, two th uh, 1,800 to 2,000 people at one central seder in Kathmandu. And they're full-time in Kathmandu. They're full-time in Kathmandu. So there are Israeli travelers also going there all around the year. It's seasonal. It's about 10 months or uh, maybe 8 to 10 months out of the year. But uh, they're there again. Uh, they're with a listening ear and with love, warmth, and kosher food. You know, I can just hear sometimes in the minds of people who will be listening to you thinking, you know, what is there in it for this guy? I mean, why is this rabbi taking his family and going off to Thailand and doing this. He's a very talented young man. I'm sure he could get a, a job someplace in a rabbinic position here in the States. Can you tell our audience a little bit of what, what motivates you? I'm well, sure it's not the money, and I'm sure it's not the, the, the environment or the neighborhood. So what is it? Well, our sages teach us, Chai Mitzvah Mitzvah. The reward of a mitzvah, the reward of a good deed is the very good deed itself. There, there's a tremendous feeling of accomplishment and tremendous feeling of satisfaction when you give. There's a, there's a concept that the uh, giver actually benefits far more than the recipient. So that's one point. And be, be, besides that, since I've been a little child, I've been fortunate to be raised and, and know that uh, one day we will join and be fortunate, hopefully, to be part of the Rebbe's army uh, and go out as emissaries and shluchim and simply to help every Jew wherever possible and to thus hasten the coming of Mashiach. Did you ever think in your wildest imagination you'd end up in a place like this? I never dreamed of it, and I, uh, <laughs> but I'm not sorry. I'm sure you're not. I'm sure you're not. Listen, but even when you went there, you probably didn't imagine it would turn into as large a, 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 an institution as it turns out to be. Not at all. What did you think at that time? You were going to be to take care of a few hundred Jews who were living in Bangkok? Yeah. The community, Jewish community asked Chabad to send a rabbi. Right. Uh, many people had told them, they had some unsuccessful t attempts at bringing a rabbi in the past. And many people, uh, particularly business travelers, told them that they want somebody who's going to really stay and be able to put up with the uh, unique conditions of Bangkok. They should be contacting Chabad. 
the Chabad was contacted. Uh, they sent a letter to the Rebbe at the time. Uh, the Rebbe directed the letter to the uh, those in, those that are responsible to right. the placement. I was contacted, and we went. We didn't think too much. Did you go to check it out first, or you just went? I went for two weeks to check it out first. My wife didn't go, and possibly that's the, the reason why we landed up there. <laughs> Interesting. Tell me, the, we, we touched a little bit about Avis Yisrael, about love for a fellow Jew. Can you explain it a little bit, because I think it's a concept that, at least in the Lubavitch translation of it, is still very foreign to many people as far as to what degree we feel an obligation to go to in order to be able to help a Jew, to be able to be part of a Jew's life, to be able to lift the spirits of a fellow Jew, because they're family, and they're like a brother and sister. It's not like dealing with somebody who's distant. Going into a little bit of, of what Hasidic thought says about it, and why what you're doing fits into a bigger context of our very, the very basis of Chabad belief. Well, I believe that uh, the Baal Shem Tov really gave us an angle that... Uh, the founder of the Hasidic movement. The founder of the Hasidic movement gave us an angle that uh, really defines what a Hasid has to be. The Baal Shem Tov said that uh, do a favor for a Jew whether or not he's righteous or not righteous, this is one of the greatest joys in life. It's one of the greatest mitzvahs. Uh, I think based, this basically answers what you, what you asked me before. What, what's in it for us? When a child does something for a sibling, there doesn't have to be anything in it for you. They're, they're flesh and blood. Uh, we used to have a phrase in our, on our Chabaras that said, the address for every, any Jewish thing we changed that at some stage early on and it's now we are the address for anything that any Jew will need so it doesn't have to be anything of a uh, religious nature it can be something very right. trivial uh, we're there and they're family brothers, sisters and that feeling is felt and translates into, uh, into mutual appreciation Interesting. Rabbi Cantor, do you have any stories, perhaps, of particular situations, let's say people who have said things to you that have touched you, or events in people's lives that happened while they were together with Chabad in Thailand, or maybe even letters that you received from people after they had gone back to Israel, or gone back to their home, and informed you of, of how the experience with Chabad in Thailand had touched their lives? Uh, just one quick thing that comes to mind. The... Uh once we were out there in the streets looking for the 10th Jew, the minion. Of course, there's so many Israelis, so, you know, you can find the 10th man that we needed for the minion, for the prayer service, find him out there in the street. And there was this guy walking down the street with his long hair and looking very tough. He looked quite Israeli, but he looked like an Israeli that would be rather uh, unwilling to come and attend a minion. He didn't look, not just non-observant, he looked maybe possibly anti-observant. Right. So uh, while trying to look the other way and not to notice him, he comes over and gives me a whack on the back and he says, Rabbi, he says, you need a minion? He says, yeah, kind of shaking. He says, don't judge me by the way I look. He says, how many do you need? I said, two, three. He calls over, he calls over his friend and says, here, Shuki, Yoni, whatever, you know, come over, guys. And he pulls over a bunch of his cronies, all of them looking rather tough about the same right? and uh, they came in and they were became wonderful friends and this taught us you know, don't look at the exterior got to look at the soul uh, there was another time I was looking for a tenth man on the street and the guy I asked the guy excuse me sir are you Jewish 
This was a middle-aged person, and he looked at me and said, what for? I said, well, this wasn't in the Israeli part of town. This was in one of the other synagogues. I said, right. well, we need a tenth man, and uh, you're the only guy in town who can help us. So he says, well, you know, I don't, uh, I'm from New York. I don't usually go to synagogue. But he came, and uh, he told me afterwards, he said, well, I, what I was scared of is that maybe you had a mitzvah tank, a mitzvah mobile somewhere around. He wanted to let me in to put on tefillin. It was actually on Shabbos. Yeah. Uh, of course, we can't drive on Shabbos. Uh, but this person, he was the 10th, and then another person came in at this, just a few minutes later, and I said, you're now the 11th, so if you want, if you're, you know, if you're busy, you know, we won't hold you. He told me, no, I'll, I'll stay. And he sent me a beautiful letter afterwards, and he said, I want to admit to you, I really enjoyed it. It really touched me in a meaningful way that I was able to, uh, we were able to interact out there. We don't know each other. Uh, no previous background, but we were able to feel that bond immediately as soon as we knew that we shared uh, common ancestors. Right. That's a very, very powerful experience. In fact, there are many places I know, many Chabad houses that have sprung up around the world that are really in vacation spots. People, places where people go just where they're very free and lazy and laid back and they really don't have the pressures. And they're much more free and open about going into a synagogue or learning about Judaism there than they would perhaps any time during their childhood or any time in their hometown, where in your hometown you have to maintain a certain reputation and a certain standard and you represent something. But when you're on vacation, people will do a lot of things that they wouldn't normally do. It's, a, it's very true, and I've spoken to many of the Chabad rabbis in these types of places where the success is, is on a... Uh, it's just as far as touching a, a fellow Jew and being able to communicate and teach. People are, are open in a degree that they would never be in, in another environment. Well, uh, we call it vacation in America, but where I grew up in Australia, it's called holiday. So when you go on a holiday... So you have to do something holy. Yes. <laughs> so rather than just vacate, you make it a holiday. Aha, uh-huh. Okay. That's true. Vacate already has a different context. Well, if you vacate right. negative, that, that would right. be okay. But when you go on holiday, that's even more... Exactly. Very good. Tell us some of the other programs. Now you have, for the business people there, you have the school. Well, we have a you kosher have restaurant. Server, you have a kosher restaurant. This is... Uh, that's right. I heard you have more than one kosher restaurant. Two kosher two restaurants. Two kosher restaurants. One in Bangkok and one in Chiang Mai. That's up north. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? In our Bangkok restaurant, we have uh, Thai food. We have kosher food. This has become... This is really a, a, a focal point for anybody that comes to visit. Of course, people that travel and keep kosher, this is a tremendous difficulty. And now, they used to come to Bangkok with suitcases full of food. Now people come, uh, you know, just with what they need for the trip, and they know that they have kosher food in Bangkok. And do you have a ritual slaughter there to slaughter the meat? That's me. You do that also? Just chicken. Just chicken. Okay. And for uh, circumcision, do you have a moil that you bring in? Uh, we bring in uh, moil from either from Israel or from America or from Australia. All right. <coughs> Very good. So you really, you've, you've been able to build a community there that has just about everything in it. Do you have a mikveh there? A mikveh was built actually at the request of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. About, uh, the, Rebbe qu- the Rebbe asked for it probably in the late 70s really? or mid-80s. What's the story behind that? Uh, there was some Jewish businessmen that lived part-time in Bangkok, part-time in New York. And they once visited with the Rebbe on one of his birthdays and to give him a gift of some pres- uh, precious manuscripts. And the Rebbe asked for another gift. And they asked, what would that be? They said, the Rebbe said, I would like to see that you would build a mikveh in Bangkok. Really? At the time, it seemed ludicrous. It didn't seem like anybody would use it. But they started the procedure of looking into where it could be built. The shul, the board of the shul agreed that it could be built on their premises. Uh, it took many years, but before we came, a couple of years before we came, the mikveh was completed. Unbelievable. And now it's a rather busy mikveh. 
That's incredible. So you have more in Bangkok than we have in Suffolk County. Well, I, <laughs> we have a Jewish cemetery as well, which we Very were nice. able to establish a few years after I got there. Right. So one can be born and go on to the other world as a Jew. Even From in beginning Bangkok. to end. Very nice. Tell me, in terms of uh, the future plans, what do you have any special projects that you're working on now as far as expansion? Yeah, in my briefcase right now, I'm carrying plans, the initial plans for building a school. A school uh, building? A school building which will be able to house our camp, our nursery school, our grade school, and all of the other educational activities that we do with Is children. Is there a lot of potential as far as the number of children who were there that could join the school? I, I believe we have a potential to reach, uh, well, percentage-wise, I think we can reach about 80% of the Jewish kids that are in Thailand. Uh, if you translate that... Uh, Into numbers, it's not too much. It may be about 50, 60 kids. Right. Uh, but that's pretty good. And we'd like to see that our, if our facility is raised to the level that, uh, you know, that it could be, uh, this will itself be a drawing point for many of the Jewish kids uh, to come. Do you find that of the 100,000 Israelis that come through Bangkok, that a lot of them go out of their way to come to visit either your restaurant, your Chabad house, or you know, they've heard about Chabad either through the grapevine or when they were in Israel? Is there a lot of curiosity seekers that come just to see what it's all about? Uh, no, people, it's kind of, people have, by word of mouth, they've already built up their maslul, they call it, their route, their uh, travel route, uh, what they're going to do, what they're going to see. And pretty much Friday night at Chabad house has become a must that's accepted as kind of uh, the, one of the, the place stops. to be. Uh, during the week, many people will come for the food aspect, for the uh, for the social aspect, uh, and we also have signs, big, huge, lighted signs uh, that stare them in the face. Really, we we spend rather extensively to to have those signs. That we need uh, actually right now we put up some rather big signs. Although right now there's security concerns all over the world. Right, but. Uh, if you, you know, if we want to be there and available to them, they have to know that we're there. Interesting. Robert Cantor, if somebody would want to get in touch with you, or they perhaps want to help you out or find out a little bit what's going on, <coughs> do you have an address here in the States that they could write to or a phone number they could call? Well, we all have uh, the Internet address. Okay. What's your Internet address? Of course, www.chabadthailand.com. Okay. Very good. That's Chabad Thailand, T-H-A-I-L-A-N-D dot right. com. And I'm sure you have a whole site there explaining everything that you do in Thailand. Well, go and check it out. <laughs> okay. Just quickly, you mentioned about Nepal. What other sites do we have in the Far East as well where they're also reaching out to Jews? Well, there are shluchim in Shanghai, China, in Beijing, China, and uh, we have to pray for those guys. They're in SARS-infected uh, country. They're really suffering from... Sure, uh, I can imagine. Uh, Hong Kong. Hong Kong. Also, our prayers out to them. Right. Uh, Singapore. Uh, we have uh, Chabad Japan. in Tokyo. Tokyo. Japan in Kobe. Okay. And we're, uh, we're working on more locations. All right. Very good. Well, listen, I want to uh, thank you very much. You're most welcome. Appreciate you being on board. And we'll hopefully be able to hear more good things about what you're doing over in the area in Thailand. Amen. Okay. In the meantime, just ask everybody to take a little bit of thought to what Rabbi Cantor spoke about, how a person can dedicate their life to something that means so much to them. Maybe you can do something in your life also to be able to accomplish the same. Shalom.